Open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world. Love not the world. 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We've already heard some kind of preaching, talking about this verse, and that was good. I mean, uh, what the Georgina said is very true. And, um, you know, we have our ideas about this verse. It's usually pretty familiar to most Christians. But the problem isn't with knowing the verse. The problem is with living the verse. Uh, we know a lot of verses, but we don't live them in our lives. So, love not the world is a command to us that we should be abiding by, not disobeying the Lord. And uh, it, this is not comfortable for most Christians. Because most Christians are dabbling in something in the world. They have their hands, their eyes, their ears. Somewhere they're dabbling in the world. And it's probably step on a few toes. It's step on my toes. But uh, we've got a lot to consider this morning. Uh, what does the world, what does the world, what does it mean to, to love not the world? You know, like, what is the world? Is it that blue ball in space? Uh, and all that is in it. Well, it is. It is talking about, it is talking about the entire world. Let me make sure I'm on the right thing here. Okay. But it's also talking about the ways of the world and the interests of the world and all the pleasures of the world. You know, today, uh, people actually love trees and they love mountains and they love seas and they love valleys and they love animals. And uh, that's okay, but not at the expense of the creator of the trees and the valleys and the mountains. And they love themselves. We certainly love ourselves uh, more than we love God at times. And people have turned their affections toward the creature instead of the creator. We were looking at what God has created instead of God who created it. Our eyes are easily distracted by the things that we see every day instead of that which was not seeing God. You see, faith is trusting in what we don't see. Well, we can see creation. But only the God of creation is to be worshipped and to be praised. Not animals and mountains and seas, as beautiful as they are, they are not to be worshipped. It's God who gets our worship. He is to be praised. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Genesis, Exodus. And in verse 14, Exodus 34, and in verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. 
And thou shalt take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. Isn't that what happened with Solomon? Didn't the kings of Israel go a whoring after the, the nations around them, their gods? And God says, I'm a jealous God. And though we may not be doing the same as the Hebrews did and, and Solomon did, we have our gods, don't we? We have our gods that we worship instead of God and over their very Creator. And God says, I'm jealous. With a capital J. That's His name. I will not share my glory with anyone else, and I want your praise and glory for me, not for the things of the world. So today, maybe it's not Ashtaroth and Chemosh and all those gods that Israel went after, and all the gods that Solomon tried to satisfy his wives with. We have our gods today. And we love them more than we love God. Much of the time. The world is full of unthankful and vain and foolish people. And the Christians should not find themselves there. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Love not the world. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Talking about those who have turned away from God. And by the way, everybody knows God. Even the atheist knows there's a God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He knows there's a God. He just doesn't want to be accountable to God. In Romans 1.21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So people have turned away from God, and it all started with an unthankful, ungrateful spirit. How many people in the world today are not thankful for anything that they have? They do nothing but curse God and go after their pleasures. That shouldn't be that way for the Christian. We should know who gave us everything that we have. But we get caught up in it too, don't we? The world says, I don't want to say grace before my dinner. I cooked this. I made this. I did this. And they, and they leave God right out of the picture. They're unthankful. They're vain in their own imaginations. They think they, they think they know what, more than God. They're empty of God. And they're full of themselves is what they are. The farther you get away from God, by the way, the darker it gets. The farther you push away from God, Christian, the darker it gets. You'd be amazed where you could find yourself if you're not loving God more than you love the world. You'd be amazed where you could find yourself. The evolutionists, the atheists and the God-haters. But here they are. They're vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And the same thing can happen to a Christian. I could show you some verses in Matthew chapter 6. If the light that is in you is, is, is turned dark, something like that, I'm paraphrasing, how dark is that How dark is that darkness? If the Christian turns away from God who has light inside of them, how dark can the Christian get? How dark can their life get? Be careful you don't love creation more than the Creator. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. They became as fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. And to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They loved the things that God created over God. 
Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They changed the truth to a lie. And now they even violate their own bodies. Their hearts are so dark. Their minds are reprobate. They're so far away from God that they now even violate their own bodies and dishonor themselves with their own bodies. That's what it says in verse 25. They serve the creature more than the Creator. How? With their own bodies. They do wicked and vile things to themselves because they're worshiping the creature instead of the Creator. They're worshiping themselves. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 19. Hey, look. I love to see mountains and valleys and rivers and trees. God's creation is absolutely stunning. But that points me back to God. I don't worship the tree and the valley. I worship the one who made that. What a mind. What a God. What an amazing God He is that could make that just by speaking it into existence. And it's beautiful and I love looking at it. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is waiting for born again believers to finally come to fruition. When our redemption comes, even the creation itself is waiting travailing, waiting for that day. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Just like a woman travailing and groaning as she brings forth a child. That's the way creation is right now. Groaning, waiting for the day that is free from its bondage and corruption from sin. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, to know the redemption of our body. Aren't you waiting for the rapture? Aren't you waiting for the time when you finally go to heaven and you're with your Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever? Aren't you waiting for that day? Hello? I hope so. Creation waits the same way. It's waiting until the bondage of sin on this creation out here that is so beautiful. Can you imagine if there was no sin in the world what it would look like? We walk by sight and not by faith it seems today. It's about what we can see, touch, and feel, and hear, and taste instead of who made all those things. It's waiting to be delivered. Creation itself wants to be delivered from sin's bondage. We need to worship God instead of this filthy, stinking, corrupted world that we live in. Because we are the only light in this world right now. We are the lights of the world. You know, it's okay to be awed by what is made. It's okay. We like looking at things that are beautiful, but not to the extent of loving the creation over God. It becomes your God. It becomes in control of you. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Someday we're going to see that. 
like we've never seen it before. But I want you to know this. The heavens declare the glory of God. They don't declare the glory of man. And they don't declare the glory of themselves. They declare the glory of God. Now think about it in your life and in mine. How far am I away from God? And just worshiping and loving Him more than this world. And the things of this world. I think we all have a lot to consider this morning. So what does it mean? What does it mean to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world? What should I love? Well, can I tell you? It's in the verse. Anything that's not of the Father. And that's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. We know that, but there has to be a dividing line. Here's the dividing line. Anything that's not of the Father. That'll tell you what's good, what's bad. No gray areas. For any of us. We'll know exactly what is right to worship and what is, or what is right to do and what is wrong to do. What is of the Father is good and what is not of the Father is bad. Now look, I'm going to get into some of what we consider gray areas and show you how they can become our master. What should I love? Anything the Father would. If God loves it, I love it. If God would do it, I can do it. Daddy, do you love ice cream? I say, yeah. Then I love it. Well, you don't want to eat 10 gallons of it. But ice cream is good for you. I mean, it's good tasting, isn't it? I mean, ice cream in itself is not sinful, is it? No. Daddy, do you like ice cream? Yes. Daddy, do you like ice cream? Ask your Heavenly Father. Father, should I be doing this? Do you like this? I'm trying to show you an earthly example of what we should earnestly talk to our Heavenly Father. Do you like this? Daddy, do you love Mommy? Yes. With all my heart. Daddy, do you love this? Talk to God the same way. Ask Him. Is this something you would love? Also, to see what God would not love. Daddy, do you love cursing? If your son asked you that, what would you tell him? No. That's bad. Well, when I ask my Heavenly Father, He says the same thing. So I need to stay away from it. It's bad. Daddy, do you love lying? Do you love stealing? Do you love pornography? No. Then I guess I shouldn't love it either. The things we love that God wouldn't or doesn't is a good starting place. Get them far from our life if we have any of those things in our life. That which is against God and His character and nature and His will and His ways should be out of our life. Get them out. Because they're not of the Father. They're of the world. This isn't easy for the church today. I can tell you right now. Because I'm just like you. This is not easy for the church today. We have come so far away from where God wants us to be, we are so close to the church, I mean to the world, that you can't tell the difference sometimes. And we wrestle with each other over things that God wouldn't wrestle over them. God knows there's a dividing line. God sees them as black and white. But we, we go back and forth and pretend like it's okay to do this. It's okay to do a little of that. And we can't do it. It's not of the Father. But we're having a hard time, church, figuring this thing out. You know, when it comes down to living each day as a Christian, 
we must decide what is the desire of our hearts. Do I love the world or do I love my God? Joshua 24, 15. Let's turn there. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua, Judges, Joshua 24. Joshua 24, verse 15. He reminds the children of Israel, well, the Hebrews again, in verse 15, Joshua, as he's getting ready to go off the scene, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were, that were on the other side of the flood, back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, where they were at that moment. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No, you don't want to go back to the God you served when you were unsaved. Well, who are you serving now? Who's your God today? And that's what Joshua was saying. Make up your mind, Christian. Who is it going to be? The gods when you're unsaved? you want to go back to sin and the addiction or whatever you were in? Or do you want to serve the gods of today as a Christian? Christian gods, little Christian gods that we serve, that we feel okay about. Or do you want to serve Him? Do you want to serve God Almighty? I think we all need to take some inspection. Choose you this day. What's the desire of your heart? What has captured our attention? What are we spending time with? What have we devoted ourselves to? Well, I can tell you, technology. Do you know children spend up to six hours a day glued to a screen? And some adults. I spend more time in front of the computer than I do in my Bible sometimes. I mean, looking at on the Bible and putting these things up there and, and, and putting the message together and then printing it out. And I, Sometimes I have to get up and just walk away from that thing. And I'm studying. I'm not looking at little pictures and doing things and playing games on it. I'm just studying and i got to get up and get away from it. But children spend up to six hours a day Glued to screens and the iPhone and the iPad and all the, this is what, this is our little gods today. Now they don't have to be, but if they're in control of us, then they become our God. We're serving it and worshiping it. Now that's just the way it is. Our laptops. Think about all that stuff that's going into our heart. Coming in through the eye gate, through the ear gate. All, we would never maybe do, go outside and do these things, but when we have our laptop in front of us, we can do it. We brought the world into our home. It's on the TV. We bring the world right into our home. And the TV is not inherently sinful. But the eye gate and the ear gate are flooded and fully involved in these things. Sexual immorality. I had no time to go through all this. I mean, we've been through this before. But just sexual immorality today in the church. Sexting and pics on phones and porn. Filthy movies. What's happening? Adultery in our hearts. That's what's happening. God says, I look right into the heart. And I know what you're thinking about. And I know who you're thinking about. And He says, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's affected you. And it certainly affects me, God says. 
Because it physically has not taken place, the ramifications are much less. Because physically you haven't committed adultery, but you've committed it in your heart. As far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2. can break our hearts how much we've hurt God when we think about what we allow into our lives. Now, 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse um, 14. This is about those who have denied the Lord. They're apostate. They've fallen away for whatever reason. But in verse 14 it says, These people have having eyes full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. And this is what struck me. Cursed children. Think about how our sin affects our children. Forget about just how it affects you. Think about those around you. Fathers. Husbands. Think about how your sin affects your children. You would never let them look at it. But maybe they see way past the front that we put on. And they are affected with it. They're cursed. Because we're not leading them in Bible study. We've sat them down in front of their iPad. Sexual immorality. Money. Becomes a God. Love not the world. These are the things of the world. Now, money is not sinful. The love of money. We know that. But that's it. It's riches and greed. I don't know where you are today. I don't know. It doesn't matter who we are. We can all not be content with what we have. That's covetousness. And if we're not content with what we have, then we want more. And if we want more, it's become our God. And we're worshiping it. And we're serving it. I'm trying to get down where we live. Alright? Because if I struggle, you struggle. The church is struggling with these things today. No, you don't have to have a lot of money. It's the love of money. So it doesn't matter whether you have a million dollars or a hundred euro. If you love that, if there's a love and a greed and you're not content with the hundred euro, you want a hundred and one euro, if you can't just be content with what God gave you and what you have in your life, then it's become your God. And you're now starting to worship it and love it and serve it. What do you want me to do? What do I have to do to get one more? That's what they asked Roosevelt, was it, not um, Rockefeller. One of the richest men in the world at the time. They asked him, what would satisfy you most, Mr. Rockefeller? One more dollar. Just one more dollar. And if he got that, it would have been just one more. He was never satisfied. He had more money than he could ever, he could ever spend it in his lifetime. But he just wanted more. It's not about the outside, it's about the heart. Where's your heart today, Christian? What's your heart's desire? There's a lack of contentment. Covetousness. And then there's our sports gods. Oh, be careful, Brother Dan. Where you go now? I love the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Phillies. But it's been eight years since I sat and watched one of those games. Good! And all the other, the Philadelphia Flyers, ice hockey. You wouldn't know what that is over here in Europe, I guess. Ice hockey. I loved it all. But let me tell you something. These goons are more excited about their 
there's, there's soccer and there's football. Whatever happened to Christians getting excited for Jesus Christ? Christians get more excited about that than they do about Jesus Christ. And there's something wrong with that. And I don't care who you are. Because I have to look at myself and say, the moment I get more excited about that than Jesus Christ, I got a problem. Sports has become our God. We ought to be fans for Jesus. Amen. Cheering and devoted for the one that died on the cross for me. Not these millionaire babies. They're nothing but a bunch of crybabies out on the field. And then when they do something great, they show you how much of a Christian they are. They go, really? That means you're a Christian? That one's for God. Don't forget, he could stop your heart while you're trouncing around there thinking how great you are. He could take your eyesight. He could pull the breath right out of your lungs like he did to Nebuchadnezzar. He can do whatever he wants. That's the God we ought to be cheering about. Not these gods. Now, how much time do you devote each day to Bible study and prayer and service for God and good works? How much time? Let me tell you this. Well, let me say first. Now, our children, are your children encouraged and taught to spend time with God or games? 3%, this is with a poll, 3% of teens read their Bible. There's teens in our Bible, you know, our our youth group. I'm hoping that more than 3% of them are reading their Bible. 3% of teens read their Bible. And you know what? I believe it. You can look good on Sunday morning, but how much time do you spend with God during the week? You ask yourself, how much time you spend reading your Bible and praying, teen? And you think you're gonna, you're gonna gain favor with God? You think everything's okay? If you're a Christian, it's not okay. You can't walk away from God and expect your life not to get darker and harder, and, and, and your heart harder and darker as you pull away from God. I'm telling you this morning, teen, you better start getting your nose in the Bible. And parents, you're the ones, not the Sunday school, for one hour a week. That's not going to help. All we are is a help to you. It's up to the moms and dads in churches today to make sure that their kids love God as much as they love games. More! Whatever happened to God being the God of our life? Jesus Christ being the central focus of my life and sitting on the throne of my heart. What happened to that? How does my life line up with the command love not the world? I have to ask myself. Yes, it is a command, by the way. He didn't say, when you feel like it, love not the world. He said, love not the world. For all us geniuses out there, it's supposed to be in the imperative sense. Which means, it's a command. God is saying, love not the world. I'm not putting any strings on that. The world doesn't love you, by the way. I just told Nathan that before started preaching, I said, you know the world doesn't love you. But we love it to death, man. And it doesn't love you one bit. Who loves you? God loves me. And He's the one that I push away. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? The ones that love you the most, you push them away. God loves you. The world doesn't love you. But what are you attracted to? God's love or the world? 
The Bible says I cannot serve two masters. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 24. By the way, just to, to regroup, let's start in verse 22, because I butchered that verse a while back. Let's read it now. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, pure, sincere, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness, Christian? Those that fall away from God and get farther into sin, how dark is your heart? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, there's another command. Why? Why can't I serve two masters? Because I have to make a choice. Only one can be my master. I have to choose. And by... There's two directions. There's two ways you can go. You can go after the world and the riches and the mammon or you can go after God. But let me tell you this. One is concerned about the outside and one's concerned about the inside. One, like Tony was preaching, confirmation. One, the world wants to conform you to and put you in its mold, but God wants to change you inside, transform you inside. The world is all temporary. The world doesn't last. All these things are going to go someday. Gone. God deals with things that are eternal. The world deals with things that are visible. I know because we all stood in front of the mirror and looked at the outside and checked it out. And how do I look? And by the way, I got this this, this, this bruise here. <laughs> Kathy. The first thing I... <laughs> It was not Kathy. Let me set that straight. I could use that and it would work. <laughs> she, I thought she was coming with a right and she came with a left hook and nailed me. No, this was me. I think I told somebody I can go around the house now in the dark and I know where everything is, you know, and I don't bang into anything. Well, I got up in the middle of the night and somebody, let's blame that on Kathy. She's in crash. She left the door half open. So instead of it being fully open, so I, I saw the edge of the doorway and I just, <laughs> thankfully I didn't have my glasses on, so I just got this one little, anyway, it was not Kathy, it was me. God showed me, in an, <laughs> God showed me I'm in charge. So I was kind of like, I can walk around my house in the dark and not bump into anything. God said, really? So he gave me one on the noggin. But the, we're concerned about the visible. And God's concerned about the invisible. The Bible's going to teach us about that which is of faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to spend time with God? You're going to have to read the Bible. Otherwise, you're not spending time with God. And one, mammon and riches is concerned about carnal, lust, fleshly, the body. The other is concerned about the spiritual. God and mammon. One is of the world. One is of God. You know, Christians today have little or no faith. I think uh, Darren was talking about that. They have little or no faith to live this Christian life. You know why? They're easily distracted. Because they're loving the world. They don't spend time with God. 
You can't just sit in your house and think about God. You have got to read this book and study this book and then live this book. Now you're, now you're drawing close to God. Now your faith is being fed. You've got to feed that faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In a sense, your faith is being fed now as you look in your Bible and the preaching. You're being fed. This isn't the only time you get fed. I can tell. I'm looking at you. Physically, you guys are eating enough. Are you eating enough of the Bible? Are you getting enough to eat? Are you starving to death? There must be a choice made every day. Do I love God more than I love this world? It's one or the other. Now, let's think about this. What is in my life that is not of the Father? What am I doing or not doing that my Father would or would not do? Where is the line drawn? Where is the line between what is the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life and what is not? Well, as I said, that line is drawn. It's not of the Father. How do I know what is not of the Father? I read my... You know, God's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes or... or, or He's being very open with us and teaching us that it, for me to be a Christian, for me to know what is not of the Father, I simply just need to read the Bible. I just need to read the book. And I'll know what God loves and what God doesn't love. And then I can live my life accordingly if I so choose. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It really has never been a gray area with God. What is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? And anybody that spends any time in their Bible knows exactly what is right and what is wrong. We know when we've crossed the line. We know when we feel uneasy down in here. And the Spirit's saying, what are you doing? Why are you looking at that? Why are you listening to that? Good for the Spirit. Thankfully, we have a Holy Spirit that shows us those things. It's not of the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23 says this. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. What does that mean? All things are lawful. Paul says I can do all things. Well, yeah, we can. We are free to do all things. Now, it's not talking about sinful things. This is talking about things that we might consider questionable, but not sinful things. Things that are not sinful, they're lawful for me, but all those things that may not be inherently sinful are not helpful for me. They're not expedient. They're not profitable for me. They are, as Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, they're like carrying weights around. Olympic runners don't carry weights when they run a race. They strip themselves down and they get all these fancy suits on and they run as fast as they can. Trying to pick up milliseconds. Milliseconds and the win. So you're not going to walk around with weights and try to run a race. There, there's things that we do in our life that aren't inherently sinful, but they can become sinful. When they become our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or helpful. All things are lawful for me, all, but all things edify. They don't build me up. They don't help me be a better Christian. 
So why am I dabbling in them? When something in itself is not sinful, but has power over you, then it becomes your God and can cause you to sin. What do I mean? The sports thing. Sports in itself is not sinful, is it? If you miss church on Sunday because you got a soccer match, has it become your God? Has it become your God? Yes, it has power over you. This is the Lord's Day. We ought to be in church. And all the football players that play for these different teams and all that, and they, and they call themselves Christians. I'm not gonna, that's not my case to judge them whether they're Christians or not. My case, I can look at and say, apparently church doesn't mean a whole lot to you. So for the next 10 years, you're going to make millions of dollars and claim that you're so close to God. Your soul belongs to God, not me. I'm not the judge of your soul. But my friend, we ought to make a decision that God means more to us than sports on Sunday and Wednesdays. Give me a break. Soccer, football, and all the rest of it's going to burn up. And it's not going to mean nothing. It's not helping you get closer to God in no way. It's become your God. It has power over you. Ice cream is not inherently sinful. Thank God. Because I like ice cream once in a while. Don't you, Dennis? Just a little bit. But you don't eat gallons of it. Otherwise, it has control over you. And it becomes your God. Look, people have trouble with their weight because they become gluttonous. Food has become their God. Come on. TV, the Cyclops, that one-eyed monster in our living rooms, is not inherently sinful. It isn't. But if you spend six, eight hours a day on it, and you're watching things that are against God, then it's become your God. And it's causing you to sin. Amen? It's causing you to sin. These are the things of the world. Let's be careful. Where's the gray area? There is no gray area. I know TV isn't sinful. I know that, Brother Dan. But when I spend all my time in front of it and watching filthy things, now it's become sinful. It's become my God. And it's not, it's not, it's lawful for me to watch the TV, but not lead me to things that are wicked and against God. Let me ask you. Does God love what you love? We're supposed to love what He loves. Does God love what you love? What things do you love in your life? You can determine what God loves by one standard. It is the Bible. That which is not of the Father. And there's a stark contrast between what is of God and what is of the world. Those questionable things may not be sinful in themselves, but when they have control over you, they become your God. And they cause you to sin. I don't care if you want to dance around it. I don't care if you want to just pretend like you're not listening right now. But there's a problem in the church today with the things of this world. They've captured our attention. We've given them our heart. And we're not the church that should be marching and prevailing against the gates of hell. We're not the same church. Because we're weak spiritually. We all may be strong this way, physically. But we're not, we're not strong spiritually. So what's the bottom line? Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. In verse 14. 
Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. It seems to me that we can spend a lot of time with dead things. Things that are supposed to be dead to us. Things that are hanging on a cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me. And I unto the world. We glory in our worldly pleasures and our accomplishments and our desires when they've been crucified. The world hangs on one cross and me and my Lord hang on another. So really, those things that are dead to us, those things of the world have lost their power over me. They don't have the power they used to have because they're hanging on a cross over there. And I'm hanging on a cross over here with Jesus. So I have to take myself down off of that cross, not identify with my Savior anymore, and go over and peel this dead thing off the cross, resuscitate it, get it going again, hit it with the paddles, and then spend time with it. Maybe sin, addiction, porn, whatever it is, let me get it down and resuscitate it. It was dead to me. It had no power over me. Bad habits that we've cleaned out of our life. And for whatever reason, we get our eyes gazing on it again and pull it off that cross and give it power it doesn't have. It doesn't have that power over us anymore. We run back to it far too often. Galatians 2.20 Galatians 2.20 We know the verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Nowhere do you find the world loves you, but everywhere you find God loves us. And I am crucified with Christ. Our main focus should be on Him, on Christ, and not the world. The world has lost its grip. I want to identify with my Savior, Jesus, not with the world. I'm telling you, Christian, sin does not have the power over you that you think it does. You give it that power. Turn to Romans chapter 6. And if you've got a problem with anything, you need to come to RU. You need to come to 12 Weeks to Freedom. And say, I'd like to learn how to get sin's grip off of my life. You'll learn it there. Don't be so pride, prideful, you can't come and get some help. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Who's the him? Jesus. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. I am crucified with Christ. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Praise God for that. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So if that be true, look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let 
Not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't give yourself over your hands and your feet and your ears and your eyes to your mouth to be tools of the devil anymore. You don't have to yield yourself to sin anymore. I'm not saying, I'm not preaching that sinless perfection because we are still sinners. We still fall. And we still have forgiveness from God. But we can live a lot better than we're living right now. By by not loving the world. Too often we don't like being told these things. We shouldn't look at something or listen to something or behave in a certain way and then call ourselves God. And you might have that attitude there right now, sitting in your seat. And I'm telling you right now, that's a rebellious attitude. That's an ungodly attitude. Get right with God. Don't get mad at me. i got to get right with God. I have to walk in the same footsteps you do if I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. But don't sit there and, ha- and get upset at me. You're, you're angry at God. We don't like to hear that. We, have a, we can have a rebellious attitude. Our desires must be weighed against the character and nature of God. That's who I have to deal with. I don't have to deal with Bill. I have to deal with God. He's the one that's my judge. If they do not offend God, then they're not of the world. So what's all the fuss about? What's the big deal? Well, God tells us this for good reason. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 17. We have our two memory verses there. And then it says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. So you have two choices. Two different ways. That you can go God's way or the world's way. But let me just tell you this. Everything in the world is going to burn up. It's going to dissolve. It's going to go poof. It's going to be gone. Everything not of the Father in your life and in my life is wood, hay, and stubble. And it will burn up. We can find that out now and realize it and change it. Or we can wait until the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And let his eyes, our God, is a consuming fire. Let him then judge my works. Or I can take care of some things in my life right now. It's all going to burn up. The things of this world amuse us for a moment. And then they're gone. Sin is pleasurable. It is. But only for a little while. And then we suffer the the consequences. First, the Christian... Choose to live for God. You know, some think you can pray a prayer and then live like the devil and call yourself a Christian. I want to see the chapter and verse for that. See me after this meeting. I want to know where it says in the Bible that you could pray some prayer and then live like the devil, like you don't even know God, and claim you're going to heaven. I am not judging anyone's soul. I just want to know the chapter and verse. We can all live like we want then. I want to know where God says that. 
because I see exactly the opposite. Somebody will point to Lot and say, look at Lot. Yeah, look at Lot. The Bible says Lot was a righteous man, and the world vexed his soul every day, his righteous soul. I believe you'll see Lot in heaven. But do you want the consequences of Lot's life after the way he lived and the wickedness he did with his own girls? Is that what you want? You want to see your family destroyed? Well, look, Lot did it. He's in heaven. Yeah, look at his life. Look what Lot has to offer to his God. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. In verse 21, let the Bible speak. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of God, the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Man, I think they ought to get into heaven. Not according to this passage. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What kind of day is that going to be for the person who thinks they're going to heaven? And they're told, uh uh-uh, I never knew you. You may have known me, but I didn't know you. There's a big difference between praying a prayer and repenting and turning to Jesus Christ. And you're not perfect, but you're saved. And you're eternally saved. And once saved, always saved. But, you have to live like you're saved. Not to keep yourself saved. Because you're saved! That's why I live the way I do. Even though it's it's not what God wants for me all the time, and I, I don't always do my best, but I'm doing it because I'm saved. Not to stay saved or be saved. But to pray a prayer, I gave God my heart. Wonderful. You never read your Bible, you don't pray, and you only come to church once a month. Are you saved? I don't know. Some think they're saved. Many who think they're serving God, they're doing it their way. Maybe they were never born again. Are you born again? Not are you religious. Not do you know God up here. Not do you go to a certain church. Are ye born again? Ye must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. God knows, not me. I'm just trying to get some truth out here so we know what's going on. There's a good reason God tells us. First, the Christian will choose to live for God. And secondly, the lifestyle will reap what it sows. Back to Galatians chapter 6. Back to Galatians chapter 6. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Your lifestyle will reap what it sows. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you want the fruit of worldly living, then continue going the way you're going. Don't turn around. Forget about it. This will be over in five minutes, ten minutes. We'll be out of here. And you can go do what you want to do. But be not deceived. It'll be a clear decision. And maybe others around you will know what kind of decision you made. 
when they look for you next Sunday and you're not here. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God knows what's going on in our heart. He knows where we are. None of us are get are going to get away playing with fire. Let's look at these verses. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6.23. Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with thy her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and, his, and in his clothes and not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. You can't play with sin and not get burned. You can't play around with it and not expect to reap the consequences of it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Evil communications corrupt good manners. You hang around with the wrong people. You listen to the wrong things. You go to the wrong places. They're going to pull you down before you ever pull them up. Unless you go in as a shining light for Jesus. And you start turning people's hearts to God. Otherwise, evil communications, evil associations, the people that you are with will pull you down. You'll become like them. There may be some here today. And you're playing with pornography. Better stop it. I know a pastor in the States finally blew his brains out. Big school, big Christian school, huge church in the Midwest. You know how it started? Pornography. And then it went to homosexual. And then he finally couldn't take it anymore. He blew his brains out. That's the end of pornography. Are you playing around just dirty dealing? Maybe you're not honest on your taxes. Maybe there's just some dirty dealing you're doing. Be careful. Maybe you're lying. Maybe you're looking to lust. It's not easy in this day and age, is it, to keep your eyes in your head sometimes. Huh, fellas? I mean, you're just standing in the cereal aisle, picking out cereal and you're dressed like they shouldn't be. Just be careful of the second look. Turn. Go down to the coffee aisle. Amen? Just choose the Lord. It, is, it will reap what you sow. And lastly, well, you know what? Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23. Well, by the way, in verse 10, just for anybody that didn't get 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Proverbs 1, verse 10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Don't go with them. Don't associate with them. Go to verse 23. Turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. This is wisdom. This is God's ways. This is God's wisdom. Because I have called and you refused. 
I have stretched out my hand this morning, and no man regarded. But you have said it not, all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me, doeth my will, unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. God will not be mocked. I would hate to think that he's turned his ear from me to listen anymore. And lastly, a Christian who does the will of God has both this life and the life to come to enjoy in God's favor and blessings. 1 John 2.17 says, He that doeth the will of God. What does it mean to do the will of God? I'm going to give you a straightforward answer. Because you already know. The most straightforward answer is, Mona, God says jump, and you say, that's right. How's that? Whatever God says, do it. He's in control. That's doing the will of God. And we are saved by obeying the will of God, or we go to hell by disobeying the will of God. Now, I'm just going to, these verses are all lined up, and I'll say I'm done for the third time. Romans chapter 10. I just want you to see these. Most people say, I didn't have to do anything or obey anything, or I just believe. Well, that obedience to the gospel was your believing. Romans chapter 10, and verse 16. I want you to know if you don't obey the gospel this morning and you're not saved and you will not believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and repent of your sins, that will send you to hell. Romans chapter 10 and in verse 16 says this, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Who hath obeyed our report? You see how the words are almost interchangeable. The Bible's giving you. The dictionary is right there. What does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to believe the gospel. If you don't believe the gospel here this morning, then you're still lost in your sin, and if you die, you're going to go to hell. Don't blame God for that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, In flaming fire, coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you have to obey the gospel. You have to believe it. Obeying means you've acted on your faith. That's all it means. It means you've acted on your faith. One more. 1 Peter 4.17 1 Peter chapter 4 and in verse 17. First Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Hmm. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? 
I don't know if you haven't seen that before, but you have to obey the gospel in order to be saved. If you've disobeyed it, if you will not obey it, then if you die, you're going to go to hell. But it's not God's fault. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. You can either obey and trust Him as your Savior, act on your faith, trust and believe in Him, or go to hell. One more verse. 1 Thessalonians, and we're done. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. This is for the Christian. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, and verse 1. Furthermore, then, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so that you would abound more and more. For you know that you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. You see that? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And that's the umbrella word for all sexual immorality. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, his body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all, such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Do you see that, though? And this is the will of God, even your sanctification, even your setting apart unto God. Obeying God, Christian, sets us apart from the world. Just obedience to God sets us apart from the world and also closer to Jesus Christ. Just by your decision, by my decision to say I'm going to obey the Lord, I'm going to walk in His ways, and I'm going to do the will of God, that is my sanctification. That's what sets me apart. So, we're going to go to heaven. Eternal life because we've done the will of God, Christian. Because we obeyed the gospel. Because we believe. No works of our own. You can't work your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough to earn God's love. He already loves you and already sent His Son to die for you. But friend, if you're here today, you can know where your soul will spend eternity. Because if you don't know, then you're lost. But you can know. So in a sense, you must make a choice. To trust in Jesus Christ and have eternal life or to love this world and all of its pleasures and then suffer eternal death. The Bible says you must be born again. You must be born again. So I ask you this morning, are you born again? Are you born again? But for the Christian... We just need to obey His will. And His will is to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen? Let's pray. Bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Father, that if there's any here today that know not... Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. They've never been born again. Maybe it's the first time they've ever really heard it. That they would consider asking someone that they believe would know the Gospel. That they could obey it, believe it, 
and be saved. Lord, if they're here today without Christ, I pray that you can break their heart of their sinful ways. Father, that you'd show them that Jesus Christ has already died for their sins on that, on that cross. They can be forgiven. Don't let them leave today, Lord, with their eyes out on this wicked world that could care less about the unsaved or even us as Christians. The world doesn't love us, Lord. You do. Lord, this morning I pray the Christians would take a good hard look at their life and stop pretending, stop playing games, stop thinking they pulled the wool over your eyes because you're not deceived. We are. I pray you just wake some of us up, whoever needs this message, that they would walk away saying, I'm going to make some changes in my life. Why? Because I don't want cursed children. I don't want my children affected by my sin. I want to get right with God. I want to make sure my children see me praying and reading my Bible, and I encourage them to do the same. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts, even during the, uh, the invitation song. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.